0: Welcome to this edition of On Politics. I'm Dr. Eric Morrow here at Tarleton State University, and we are coming to you here today on KTRL 90.5 FM uh, with another episode or another show here looking at critical issues in our community, in our state, in the country, and around the world. As you know, each week our focus on this program uh, is to look at what is happening in terms of government, in terms of uh, and in terms of, of the issues that are around us uh, that are related to government and policy and really try to go more in depth uh, with uh, special interviews as well as uh, posting articles on our Facebook page, uh, as well as uh, uh, sharing commentary on some of the critical issues that are happening around us. and so. Uh, As many of you know, we for a number of weeks, uh, if you've been listening, uh, we've had a number of episodes where we have interviewed uh, different uh, professionals, uh, different leaders in our community, in our region, uh, to look at the impact of this current COVID-19 crisis on everything from public schools to economics to our state political parties and preparing for elections, Uh, We've looked at in public health. I mean, we've looked at so much on this and really trying to see some of the just challenging aspects and what has been happening in relationship to this uh, to this pandemic. If you want to listen to those interviews, you can go to SoundCloud, you can look up on politics uh, with Eric Morrow and you can download or listen to previous episodes uh, of our show. Uh, You can also download those where you get your podcasts. So today we are kind of back in Stephenville. We've been uh, uh, around uh, uh, the state. A few weeks ago we interviewed, uh, or over two weeks we interviewed both uh, chairs of the Republican Party of Texas and the Democratic Party. Uh, Last week we had Dr. Inazu from Washington University in St. Louis talking about First Amendment issues. So this week we are back in Stephenville. And Stephenville is the the home and the main campus of Tarleton State University, so that is uh, uh, why this is not just accessible, but also very critical to us uh, in terms of our relationship uh, with all of you, our listeners, both here in Stephenville and throughout the region. And I'm very pleased today to welcome uh, July Danley, uh, who uh, directs the Chamber of Commerce uh, here in Stephenville. And uh, she comes to us with uh, not just uh, that experience uh, in, in, in recent years in uh, working with the Chamber and, and leading uh, the efforts of the Chamber, which we'll talk about here in a moment, uh, but she has uh, also attended Tarleton State, uh, participated on the rodeo team in barrel racing and breakaway roping. I've, I'd like to know the skill sets there that might actually help you uh, in what you're doing now. I'm sure there's some things that apply. Uh, But she received her Bachelor of Science in Speech Communications and her MBA in Management, uh, has been recognized as an outstanding graduate from the College of Education and Fine Arts, and was honored by the university as an outstanding young alumnus by the Tarleton Alumni Association in 2007. She's had other experiences, including being Executive Director of the Tri-County Agribusiness Association for seven years, before taking on her current role as president and CEO of the Stephenville Chamber of Commerce. So, welcome. Glad to have you with us today.
1: Well, thank you so much, Dr. Morrow. Glad to be here. Uh,
0: So, we're going to jump right in here with uh, uh, talking about the Chamber and what you do. And I think this is very critical uh, to remind our listeners what the Chamber of Commerce does, what its, its primary mission, and, and how uh, it works uh, on behalf of both our community, but, but especially uh, in relation to our businesses uh, right here in Stephenville.
1: Definitely, and, and you know, our kind of tagline, if you will, is the Stephenville Chamber of Commerce has been serving as the voice of business since 1911. So an organization that was formed over 100 years ago, and, and as a nonprofit, we are a, a member funded organization and, and our goal is to unify and advance um, interests in our community that support business, that improve the quality of life and that enhance growth and that provide a, a positive atmosphere for people to live and work and play. And so there's a, a lot of ways that we um, go about meeting, meeting that mission or, or helping to support that, um, but certainly providing resources and resources to everything from our visitors to our residents, our businesses, our nonprofits, um, to help them be more successful and to help them serve their um, certain niche area um, better and, and more effectively.
0: Well, that, I think that's critical in understanding the role that that chambers of commerce uh, have all across our country, but right here in our own community, is that that it it, it is that. A more, much more inclusive role when we think about so many different facets of our community life, some of which we, we kind of take for granted that, that oh, we have this and we can experience that and we can enjoy this. Uh, but it takes a lot of work uh, to ensure the vi- long-term viability uh, of of many of those resources. How in, in, in your time in, in this role, have you seen uh, some of that change uh, for the, really for the better in terms of the quality of life and and what, what aspects that, that this work has contributed to right here in Stephenville.
1: Well, I've, um, like I said, came to, you said came to Tarleton uh, over 20 years ago to uh, enjoy the education and rodeo. And then I've been here at the chamber for 14 years. So our, our little community has certainly changed and grown in a lot of ways um, in the past couple of decades. That, that seems like a long time to say. Um, But, you know, technology has changed. And and for us in our communication, that's probably been one of the biggest things is that we have more avenues to help share information with people and help them know what the community has to offer. And so I I, I certainly think that's one of the biggest um, changes in the last uh, few years is the the communication avenues and, and how to reach people. Um, and also the mm-hmm. unique businesses that we have investing in the area, and and that are that are offering different things, and and you know the entrepreneurial spirit is alive and well, um, even in challenging times, and and that's that's made a difference in in people enjoying Stephenville.
0: Right, we we talked about that uh, several uh, weeks ago uh, when uh, we were. Uh, visiting with other other community leaders in the fact here we are in the midst of this crisis and yet you see development, you see activity, you see things happening that show that that uh, Stevenville's uh, thriving in 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 many ways and that there are things that just continue to move forward even even in this very difficult time and and really speaking of that, uh, how ha- have you seen? Uh, the focus of what you're doing, or, or maybe it's not so much that it's shifted as, as it's, it's been augmented. Here we are in un- unprecedented times. I mean, this is just, I'm a, I'm a student of history. I teach uh, political science. Uh, uh, I've, I'm more of an interdisciplinary, and so history is just an area that I, that I love, but you look back on this, and in modern times, just something that has this level of impact and has it so broad, uh, is unprecedented and so uh, we've seen so many aspects of our lives and, and our community uh, impacted. Where where has that kind of shifted or or, or uh, changed some of the things that you're doing and where your focus is at the moment?
1: Well, uh, certainly we have had to adapt and adjust and quickly to, to support our, our community and our businesses. You know, we're priority for us is always connecting people to resources. To improve their life whether that's you know like I said a visitor a resident a business but um, in the before this pandemic if you will um, some of those were connecting people to networking and to events and to mixers and to um, presentations and opportunities mm-hmm. to meet people a lot of that in person as well as still a lot of um, digital and, and in um, print resources um, but from day one since this started um, we have been researching information compiling information sharing information just as quickly as we can and as quickly as it continues to change and so um, pivoting to immediately you know updating the front of our website to resources that can help people from the financial help to businesses to as much as the guidelines as well as them you know understanding what can i and can't i do or should do Um, as well as for our community Food pantry help, you know, we've been keeping in touch with all of our nonprofit organizations and the Stephenville Independent School District on, you know, when the drive through pantries are, rent and utility assistance, Um, the the list goes on and on, um, even churches and their online services. So staying, we, you know, we, as a membership organization, um, we have about 700 members and 100 of those are nonprofit organizations. And, and the other, you know, 600-ish are mostly small businesses, as well as several of our large employers. Um, but just staying connected with those um, people that are providing services and then trying to get the word out about that through website, email newsletters, marquee, social media. And, and then, of course, picking up the phone and calling our businesses, as well as fielding a lot of phone calls um, just to help try to answer people's questions about um, how, not, how they can Persevere through these challenging times, and so while the chamber's goal has always been connecting people to resources, certainly that has looked much different and been much more intense um, in these past couple of months.
0: Well, in that, that large network that you that you have, that that does rely on that engagement, and and like you said, a lot of that is face to face. It's. It's uh, the meetings, it's the social aspect of it. it uh, but I'm sure, like you said, you've had a lot of interaction in, uh, in other ways during this crisis. And so what, what are you hearing are ha, or have been and continue to be some of the significant challenges uh, that you're seeing among the chamber membership, which, again, is representative of things all across our community. But, but what, what are the things that kind of rise to the front as being of, of the greatest concern uh, that you've seen?
1: Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> There's certainly yeah. lots of challenges. And I think that the um, blessing of technology has allowed people to overcome a lot of those challenges. I mean, from the university mm-hmm. ex- as an example, I mean, allowing people to work from home and immediately having access to have online meetings, you know, as, as often as needed. Um, so that's one of our things that we really tried to help some of our businesses who didn't already have online shopping carts on their websites or social media to know how to do a Facebook live sale. Um, so those who had already embraced technology quite a bit were able to, um, pivot and and use mm-hmm. that to stay connected mm-hmm. with their customers. And those who um, had struggled a little bit, we tried to connect them with resources and help them to get there. Um, but not everybody has that technology or ability. So certainly right, right. I think that's one of the biggest challenges is when you're used to seeing people face to face, is um learning how to use technology and how to get other people connected to it so you can still remain that connection um because you know as, as humans were built for connection and for relationship and um it, but being able to be, see people face to face even on a um, video conference or online is better than just a phone call and so but um certainly for I would say there's dual challenges in the community from businesses to to residents and those that are having kiddos at home. Um, the financial issues are you know at the forefront, um, which of course there's been a lot of resources to help mitigate or or help um, help help businesses get through a season um, with the financial issues. And a lot of our businesses have have been able to um, apply for and receive funds through the CARES Act, um, whether it's the Payment Protection Program or disaster loans or um, different grants, which has been helpful. Um, But I do think the bigger challenge than just the uh, financial impact for our community as a whole has been the difference in the way we relate to each other. You know, the kids not in school, um, working at home while your kids are in another room, um, just the you know, we have an ambassador group, and we have a leadership Stephenville group, and each of those meet monthly, and so we've been meeting online, and it's just been interesting to hear how everybody's got a little bit of a different situation, um, depending on what their role at their business is, and how they're able to adapt to do that from home efficiently, or whether they're mm-hmm. ready to get back in the office um, so they have the the setting that they're used to, so certainly lots of challenges but I think it's been very encouraging for me to see how everybody had to take a little deep breath at first and say oh my and then just you know just said okay we're going to get through this you know our school district and teachers and administration have just been amazing the university um, you know to say okay we've got to change we've got to amend but we've still got to serve and we've still got to meet students needs we've still got to meet customers needs and um, I, I'm encouraged by how many people have have ad- adapted quickly and, and still been able to keep people connected and provide service to them.
0: On the, the what you'd said about uh, uh, assisting uh, members with technology, do, do you see that developing more as a role for, for a chamber going forward, especially in an area like ours where you have a lot of face-to-face entities? And I didn't know if that was was kind of a, a something that you see as a, as, as potential, uh, knowing that now you know we're not immune to these things. We've seen other outbreaks of pandemics around the world, and and here all of a sudden it's 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 in our state. It's it's the next town over. It's uh, across the street, and and so we we know that there's going to be a lot of of areas that are looked at on the policy level going forward. But in terms of of what you've seen and experienced already, and trying to help. Uh, businesses and organizations adapt during this time? How, where do you see that that going forward?
1: I, I definitely see that that's going to be an increasingly more important role um, to help, help businesses to learn new technology and technology is constantly changing. And so that's going to be a constant how to, you know, figure out there's a new technology that's better in, in ways to do that. But I think a lot of people are going to see the benefit of some of the technology and the online connection and going to even when things are back to being able to be in person 100%, mm-hmm. they're still going to utilize those tools because they realize that even even when we could drive across town to a meeting, you know we could have one in a different setting and still be fairly effective. So I think it's certainly opened people's eyes to things that they maybe had kept putting back utilizing because they were just too busy and didn't have time to figure it out. And it forced them to figure it out and now the strategy of how do I implement this in more ways moving forward and to stay efficient is is something we're gonna we're gonna do and you know we are not the experts on everything but we like to think that we know a lot of people and so um, some of Tarleton's professors are ones that we have referred people to um, from marketing to websites to technology um, from different colleges. Of course, Bill Everton, I know you've had him on before with the Small Business Development right. Center um, has been a great resource. So um, knowing, knowing who the different people in the community are that have that um, talent and that are keeping abreast of the changing technology and um, helping businesses to implement it is, is, uh, will be a never ending role that, that will continue to be at the forefront.
0: Well, you, you referenced that uh, interview we had with with Bill, and you know, one of the things that came out of that with him and and, and Jeff Sanford was uh, this emphasis on on shopping at home, and and so to me, it seems like technology could play a very important role in making more things accessible to people, uh, uh, not just during this time, but beyond. Uh, that they're used to saying, well, I know I don't know that I can get that here, or it doesn't seem as accessible as it might with going onto the internet and finding it somewhere else, and and that that on both sides, if we're all willing to do more of that, and businesses are accommodating that, uh, that just helps our community. And and so I, I think that will be a a critical role and 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 challenge for all of us going forward is to to just be aware of that of those options and not just take the easiest. Uh, Path to 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 getting what we need or want is that is there a way that we can do that right here uh, in Stephenville? Uh, we we talk a lot on this show about uh, about policy and 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 really uh, anticipating and kind of looking ahead. And and here uh, you have a major crisis that that has had such a broad impact. And and we know that 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 uh we're, we're in an election cycle that that all of this is going to converge in november that we'll see some some policy uh, changes and and we just don't know what direction uh as we move through that election cycle uh and and into the years ahead i mean i i'm uh i was working in new york city uh, when at 9 11 happened and was a part of some of the planning and and uh redevelopment and, and uh recovery in certain areas and and so that this began within weeks. After that event, you had uh, leaders, community leaders, and, and state and national officials coming together to talk about, uh, okay, what do we do now? And of course, on the federal level, we saw a whole new Department of Government, Homeland Security. Uh, I think we're going to see uh, maybe even equal or greater response uh, post-pandemic in terms of of, of policy development that is focused on how do we adapt and, and deal with this, uh, so that's on the ma- macro level. let's bring it down here to to, to stephenville um, and, and and just in terms of your work, a lot of what you do uh, is impacted by the decisions that government makes at the at the local, state and even the federal level uh, where do you Where do you see this going in terms of the preparedness uh, for for government at, at any level like that? Uh, in, in relation to the kinds of programs and, and resources that you're able to, to access and then to help uh, organizations and businesses here in the community. I, I would assume some of those discussions are already going on. I just I think part of it is just thinking about, well, what's, what's tomorrow look like when we, we're going, going through a crisis like we are?
1: Definitely. And then that's a, it's a complex question, with complex answer for sure, sure one right, of the yes. that we try to do is stay in touch as much as possible with our, our city staff, our city council, our County commissioners. Um, I have their cell phones. Um, we talk at all hours um, keeping up to date on what's going on. They have a lot of challenging decisions to make and, and lots of um, um, pros and cons of all of the um, impact of those decisions. Um, you know I think one of the the biggest challenges in you know something that maybe they implement and how it affects different businesses differently is that so many businesses are under industry regulations you know whether it's a restaurant or whether the you know all of the salons are under the TdLR and they you know they put out things that they're already having to do and and so I think a lot of those industry groups from the dental association, to the salons, to those, I think a lot of those groups are gonna be updating their policies um, based on this. As far as, you know, if you have a license to practice a certain um, whatever, especially in any of those healthcare or customer service, personal service type things, I think a lot of those industry groups that you get your licensing or training or certifications under are, are gonna be looking intently at their policies. and and. You know, I think it it depends on the um, attitude and atmosphere of the government as to how much the local and or state bodies implement new policies or allow those industry groups to police, you know, or um, provide their own policies. And if they meet adequate standards, let them govern themselves, if you will. But certainly will be interesting to see, you know, I feel certain that some of the safety and sanitary measures that we're doing now mm-hmm. will will continue you know there's some that will be temporary and there's others that industry groups will say well this is something that we may just have to keep um as as a guideline or a um cost of doing business right. to you know tie it into a cost of doing business and then we're going to keep keep it going forward but will certainly be interesting to see um how how widely that impacts um different and i think it will affect different, um, different types of businesses differently in the days to come. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, so, so that brings in that area, and, you, and you, you mentioned this in terms of public health and public safety, uh, which, uh, you know, in, in Texas, I, I, I teach Texas government and have been a, a student myself of how, you know, all this works in terms of politics and, and economics. And we're, we're a very uh, pro-economy, pro-job creation type of state. Uh, and that has its benefits, and it also has its creates challenges as well. And, and we we talk about that in our, our classes in terms of, of helping students to understand that if if you're going to move in that direction of 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 growing the economy as big and as fast as you can and create as many jobs, uh, then you're going to have to give up some things in other areas. And, and so so we're we're kind of in that in that mix right now. Of here we were, our economy in the state was just a, a historic. Uh, a growth that we were seeing in the in the first quarter of this of this year, and and then all of a sudden, you know that that picture has changed, and and we're kind of kind of you. You look at the numbers, you go back and you say, well, we're thankful that we were growing that much because it has helped to to the, the lessen the impact, even though it's been quite significant in some sectors like oil and gas and and so on, but but we bring in this public health uh, and public safety issue. And as you mentioned, you know, that, that brings in cost. It brings in uh, challenges to local businesses to adapt to regulations and, and, and directives. And so what we're just to, to to help people understand kind of where maybe the, the, the chamber is in that mix or, or maybe where this may go, uh, where has uh, uh, in the past the chamber or, or, or what would be opportunities here to have those conversations and, to, and, and bring in and have people who are in public health areas and in providing health services uh, with businesses as well on the local level? I mean, is that something that's already been happening in the past? And we we might see more of that happen as a result of this uh, or, or not. I, I think I'm asking for myself just as, as much as I am for listeners.
1: Well, I certainly think that there will be continued emphasis on um, research and education and information dissemination as how it relates to public health and um, business operations and the safety um, for both employees and customers. certainly through this from the beginning of when things were shutting down as to when things are opening even more um, with the new guidelines, um, we've been doing our best to, to connect people to the specific roles for their type of business and to their area mm-hmm. um, and, and help answer their questions as well as connect them to resources. And as far as the cost for businesses, you know, signage. Um, so I know that we have several sign companies in town that we're, um, you know, trying to help with discounted costs and mm-hmm. helping people to, and helping to Um, have a quick turnaround in whether it's, you know, a little sign by the door or a big signage out by the road to help um, customers know what the new expectations were um, or safety guidelines. I know you mentioned you had Jeff with the Economic Development Authority on um, earlier, and they, um, Economic Development, used a little bit of their funding to get a hold of sanitizer, and so they have gallons Mm -hmm. of hand sanitizer that was made from a brewing company down the road in Brownwood, um, they're giving to businesses at no charge um, to help them mm-hmm. have um, that to have on hand to help keep their you know traffic coming in and out safe. Um, one of the things that I think is great you mentioned earlier, kind of the shop local, support local spirit, and and I think that's one of the good things that will come from this challenge is that that is a little more contagious now and and has a little more energy. And one of the things that's been special is that we have a group of volunteers that have been sewing face masks, and so. Um, we've been helping to connect people and any businesses that need them Mm -hmm. for their customers, for their employers, um, from people who have put that together, as well as to other resources for people who need other supplies. Um, but certainly that has increased the cost of business for people. And and that will be something they'll have to, um, carve into their budget in future years. Um, but I, I think when we look at our future webinars and, or even speaker series, um, Health-related speakers and those um, connecting how to keep the public safe while still conducting business is is going to be a priority.
0: Well, for for you in the in the chamber and, and and looking ahead as well. So you know we're all anxious. I mean we're, we're working with students and faculty here, and, and of course it's going to be a, a new normal in the fall, and hopefully we'll get back to being able to do some of the things that we we've done in uh, in the past and the way that we did them. But talking about the chamber and, and all of the networking and the engagement that you do, uh, what, what do you see in the months ahead? Uh, I, I know a lot of this is conditional. We, we talk that way around here. Well. We're gonna we're gonna overplan and hope that maybe we don't have to put all that into place, but we've got to be prepared because we just don't know uh, the direction that this is going. We've seen that with state officials as well, where it's this balancing act of of how do we respond to uh, the direction that the virus goes and where it is, as well as trying to. Re- uh, reopen the state and get the economy going. I know you've got to be thinking of, of that as the, as the president and CEO of the chamber of commerce, uh, wh- what's your programming uh, and what, what do you do and what engagement do you do in, in, uh, in the months ahead? What, uh, uh where, where do you see, and what, what are you trying to think about now in, in, in uh, advancing that program, uh, as we uh, continue to address the virus, but also look to hopefully get, get back to some level of, of normal and doing what we do.
1: Definitely, well, while a couple of months ago, our events calendar was full of mostly all live in-person events, mm-hmm. and whether those were trainings or speakers or, or just fun entertainment things, um, we've certainly been trying to you know, fill that event calendar with online learning opportunities. And, and a lot of, um, from state organizations to local to regional, have been providing everything from landscaping CPR or upcoming spring gardening to you know how to claim your business on Google. Um, we just had a webinar earlier today about that. So certainly, we've been trying to help people take advantage of the online training and online learning opportunities. Um, and we'll continue to do that um, for, for the foreseeable future. Um, you know, I think we're very fortunate here in Stephenville in Erath County that we currently have two active cases out of 40,000 plus people. Um, we're a little removed from, from the higher population areas, and so um, we have not been as, as drastically affected as others. Um, we are planning on starting back having ribbon cuttings to celebrate some of our new businesses that have opened um, in July. I'm hoping that things, the positive trend of, uh, will continue um, till then, and so we're um, thankfully, we had our really big fundraiser the last weekend of February, and that was our, our annual banquet, which is our one large fundraiser for the year, and so we don't, um, till late fall, we don't have any other several hundred guest events um, that we're planning. They will all be smaller than that, and, and we'll be looking at the format of them, um, ruin cuttings, keeping people more outdoors um, for even the speaking, you know, instead of all being in, a, in inside. And and just um, constantly analyzing that as 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 the days move forward. But um, we we have a great board of directors. You know, the chamber is a nonprofit who's guided by um, leaders in the community that are business owners that are in healthcare, um, that are in industry, and so we're constantly having those conversations about what what does tomorrow look like and what does next next year look like, and and how do we continually adapt and and provide both the information and the connection um, that our, our community needs to, to not just um, survive, but to thrive.
0: Very good. Well, I, th- I think that the information on programming and events is that people can access that through your website, because we would certainly post, I'll post that on Facebook uh, with the announcement about the show and and just so that people can uh, engage and learn, learn more about what the chamber is doing and what you've got planned in the, in the months ahead. So uh, I, I just I want to thank you for joining us today. I mean, this is is very inf- informative. I mean, I, I think if you walked up to the average person on the street and 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 asked them about the Chamber of Commerce, that they're going to immediately associate okay with business and things like that, which is a big part of what you do. But there there's so much more, and I think that's that's very critical for the the people of our community to to know that and to know what you're out there doing and 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 how you're working to to network people. Uh, and, and to provide them with support and the resources. So it's it's, it's great to hear this, and, and we wish you well in, in that work. And, and I, again, I just want to thank you for uh, joining us today so that uh, we can give attention to things that are happening right here in our community. And and as we do on the show, we just encourage people to be more engaged, to, to be informed, uh, but to be engaged and know what's happening around them so that they can make better decisions about uh, policy, about the role of government, what we need government to do or not to do, uh, and and how that impacts the critical uh, groups, organizations, and and uh, entities like the chamber uh, that are here uh, working for the benefit of, of all the people in the community. So thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Well, thank you very much, Dr. Morrow, for having me. I, I appreciate the, the effort that you go to to um, have candid conversations and respectful ones with people about about the issues and how they impact people. And and that's, um, you know, we have a, a, a very diverse economy and membership and um, our, our goal is like you said, to help encourage conversation about how people can work together and how a synergy can, can help people to be more successful. So thank you for having me. Um, our website is stephenvilletexas.org. And um, there's a lot of resources about about the community that people can find there if they're looking for something to do or somebody to get connected to.
0: We will definitely provide a link to that, and we're going to take a short break, uh, but we'll be back in a moment with more on politics.
1: Ever find yourself wishing you didn't have to miss your favorite radio show? Well, wish no more because KTRL 90.5 FM is now streaming online. Tune in to catch your favorite broadcasts and shows live right at home from your computer or mobile device. To listen, please visit TarletonRadio.com or click Listen Live at KTRL.FM. Hello, I'm Janice Horrock and my radio home is KTRL 90.5 FM
0: for news. From Feature Story News in London, I'm Ollie Barrett. Sports. Touchdown Tarleton Texans! Jazz and classical
1: music. Music.
0: Politics can be confusing, but On Politics with Eric Morrow has your back. Follow the show on Facebook. Search On Politics with Eric Morrow to stay up to date with the show and all the sources to follow right along. Welcome back to On Politics. We're glad you have joined us today right here on KTRL FM 90.5. We want to thank July Danley again the uh, president and CEO of the Stephenville Chamber of Commerce for joining us in the first part of the show for that uh, engaging interview on the work of the chamber, on how they've responded during this crisis. And we're going to be bringing more interviews like that to you here, our local listeners, as well as those throughout the region, Uh, as we navigate a very challenging and unprecedented times that we're having now. And especially as we look to the summer and into the fall where uh, there are a lot of questions left to be answered about how all this is gonna work. Our schools, our communities, businesses, churches. uh, There's just so many questions and challenges that are out there and we wanna give that attention, especially as it relates to policy, to government, to how uh, all of this interacts with our lives and in some ways structures our lives, but also addresses these, this kind of crisis. And so uh, we will continue to bring you uh, more interviews like that and more information uh, to help you think about uh, the role of government and what you think the answer should be in that role in addressing uh, the current issues around us. So in the last part of the show here for today, I want to turn to, some material that I looked at in an interview earlier in the week. Uh, I was interviewed on the Keith Hansen show, a nationally syndicated radio show out of New Hampshire. And the focus of that interview was on a New York Times article, which I uh, have posted on the On Politics uh, Facebook page. And that is the coronavirus is deadliest where Democrats live. And so the purpose or focus of this interview was to try to dig into this a little bit and understand it, uh, not just the de- about the data. I mean, what what does this tell us in, in, in the data, but also how this plays out in the political arena as well. Because it's one thing to look at the numbers and to look at the actual cases and, and deaths as we have just recently passed the 100,000 mark. It's just uh, un- unbelievable to see how this thing continues to develop and the challenges it has created and the impact that it has had. Uh, and we certainly grieve for, for those lives and for the families who have lost, lost loved ones uh, because of this. And it just makes it that much more urgent to work for solutions, uh, vaccines, for cures, uh, for really guidance in how we uh, move forward and try to protect ourselves and uh, public uh, our public health uh, for our common good. But this article, first of all, digs into some of the data behind this. And so I want to look at both ends. I mean, the interview that I had was very much focused on the politics of this, of the source that it came from, uh, how this can be used uh, or would be used or be taken or how people respond to this uh, in in the political sphere and in looking at. Uh, what their political ideology may be, or their party inclination, and, and so on. Uh, but I think there, there's much more here. I think there is that part of it, and I want to get to that in just a moment, but there's also the data itself. So I encourage you to look at the article, uh, read through it, and, and try to understand this. But really, the data points to the fact that, that the the affiliation with the Democratic Party or or identification as as Democrats. And of course, they're using the data from the 2016 election. So they're looking at counties won by Hillary Clinton in 2016 uh, over against counties that were won by Donald Trump in 2016. And so taking that data and then putting it together with the death rate across the country, the data shows that yes, there are more deaths in counties uh, that voted predominantly Democrat for president in 2016 compared to those that voted Republican. It's also very clear that that death rate is higher because that these areas are uh, that are a predominant predominantly Democrat have higher population densities. And so I think this is where the data is helpful in kind of understanding the science here, how the virus is transmitted. And so certainly we've seen significant hotspots with the virus across the country in areas that were impacted early on. So like East and West coast and areas where the population is much more dense. Uh, On the show, we got into talking about Texas uh, being as large a state as it is with 90% of our population being in metropolitan areas. So why have we not seen uh, the the outbreak in, say, like Harris County and Dallas County uh, that we saw on the East and the West Coast? And so one of the responses to that was that, well, it just wasn't here as predominantly and as early. Uh, as it was in those areas. But also, once it began to spread in in those areas on each coast, a lot of states, and Texas was one of them, moved to kind of shut things down, uh, to to uh, implement stay-at-home orders, to practice social distancing, to put some of the the things in place that have kind of slowed down the progression uh, of the virus. So I think one of the, the key things to look at this is to understand that when we look at our country, and yes, it's it, we see red and blue. I mean, when you see the maps on election nights, uh, you see you can see states like Ohio and Virginia and others where the metropolitan areas are blue and the rest of the states red, showing a majority voting in a certain way uh, in those counties. Uh, but we do see a country that is very divided along those urban and rural lines, where we see our much larger population centers, and we even see this to a certain extent in Texas, are, uh, are predominantly Democrat or majority Democrat when it comes to presidential elections, whereas our rural areas across the country uh, are predominantly Republican. And so this adds to that interesting mix of politics uh, that we uh, ha- continue to have and see uh, in our country, especially we see right now in the general election process. There, there's another factor, in, and we really didn't get into this on the, in that interview. And the interview and the link to the interview is posted on the On Politics Facebook page. So I uh, encourage you to like us and to listen to that that full interview. But one area that we did not get into that we've actually highlighted on this show in a previous episode is that in the uh, uh, in areas where there are larger minority populations that the, the virus has been uh, more predominant in, in terms of spreading uh, death rates higher in certain areas among Latinos, African-Americans, and in my work in studying Texas government and looking at our, our state it, it itself, when we talk about public health, uh, this goes to uh, not just as about population density, because you can see this in rural areas as well, This is more about either access, direct access to health care, to quality health care. So we're not just talking about when you need it in an emergency or when when someone's really, really sick. We're talking about ongoing regular health care where people are getting the the checkups, the vaccinations, the the wellness care that they need. And so what we see in Texas is that among minority populations, African-Americans, Latinos, we see a uh, less uh, access uh, to that kind of health care. And very often it's because uh, it it may either be because of a lack of insurance or limitations on the use of insurance, uh, or it may be no insurance, like I said, no insurance at all, and people accessing health care only in dire situations where they need it. Uh, We also have to look at the impact that poverty has uh, on health and well-being. This is a significant issue when we look at these metropolitan areas and we look at uh, urban areas in in these uh, communities and neighborhoods where there are high poverty rates. And so the the stress and the pressures and the challenges of that and and what uh, uh, is not understood and learned from generation to generation in terms of the things that you need to be doing uh, to be healthier, to live a healthier life, not to be so susceptible uh, to some of these things. And that's not to say that that healthy people are not getting the coronavirus. It's just that that you have a, a, a predominance and the statistics show it here in Texas. When you look at our rural counties along the, the, the southern border and, and, and other places as well, uh, the diabetes and heart disease and more, uh, uh, obesity, these are all issues that have higher percentages among these uh, populations that have more limited access to quality health care and that that, that struggle uh, under the, the challenges of, of poverty and being able to, to have access and afford uh, to have the things that they need uh, for their own well-being. And so I think that we, we've got to talk about that as well in addition to population density because what we do see also among these populations, you, you have a higher percentage of Latinos and African Americans that identify uh, with the Democratic Party. And so I think this is another factor. The article alludes to this, it talks about it in, in a few ways, uh, but I think in putting that together with population density helps us really look at the, at the data and understand why this is the case. Uh, now the, the question was raised is, is this uh uh, death rate, higher death rate among areas that predominantly voted Democrat in 2016 uh, rather than Republican related to uh, policy. Uh, well, my first response to that was, well, well, no, it's not related to the fact that you can directly connect uh, policies uh, to deaths, okay, that because these people are living in these areas and because of a party agenda or focus that that then it's gonna result in, in more death. I mean, that, that's where we move into that kind of political realm of saying, well, how do I take this data and use it to my political benefit? How do I, to, how do I engage the, my base in the, in the, how do I engage even in broadening that base by telling people, well, look, if you, if you vote this way, this is the outcome. Uh, I think where it connects with policy, so I'm, I think my answer was, was right in that regard. I think it was wrong in the sense that there are policies that can contribute to this, uh, because policy is what often uh, is, it, is focused on or can be, should be focused on public health, on how do we get quality health care uh, to as many people as possible, how do we address poverty issues. And so how to the extent that we're trying to address some of those issues uh, and, and we're not able to do so, that certainly has an effect on this. On the other side of it, as we've talked about many times on this show, we've got to look at where this is going. And that's been some of my questions that I've asked over the weeks to our, uh, to those that we've interviewed, is where they see this going and what areas of policy might be impacted more than others because of the current pandemic. And I think that's where this very much gets into the political realm because as we're going forward, as we look at the economic impact, the public health impact, educational impact, Uh, as we see so many uh, aspects of this that that are going to need to be addressed in the weeks and months and years ahead, that then it becomes very political because then you're looking at uh, a presidential election coming up. Uh, This is a, a national crisis. It's a worldwide crisis, but on the national level, it is going to consume uh, the focus of federal government uh, for months and years to come. And I'm just saying this looking back at 9-11 and what happened in the years after that. And that was, uh, certainly had a worldwide impact, but it, it at least the 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 d- direct effect of it was the event on that day and in those areas where those those horrific tragedies happened. Here we have something that has just impacted people all across the nation directly. And so we're, we're looking at this in terms of a general election in which you are going to have uh, uh, two uh, agendas. You're going to have two uh, messages. You're going to have two uh, candidates for the White House, one the incumbent and one the challenger, who are going to be advocating on the direction that they have going forward and what needs to be addressed uh, uh, in relation to uh, this pandemic and its consequences. And so I think that is where we, we, we need to see this as, as much more complex. We need to see this as, yes, there is a policy connection here directly related to healthcare, public health, poverty, uh, uh, along those lines. Uh, there's also a policy connection in uh, what is the best response? What, what can we achieve politically uh, and I'm saying that for both sides of this, what what can they achieve politically uh, in order to to be able to to gain that power? Remember, that's what it's about. It's about gaining the political power to then implement uh, a a policy agenda uh, in the in the years ahead. And so that's where this really then moves over into the political sphere. And I think that's what the the, the interview was a lot. It was a lot more about that. It was about. Uh, who interprets this and in what way, and how do they use it, and what what benefit do they get out of it uh, in terms of political uh, action. And, 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 and so I, I think that's where it gets challenging sometimes, and especially for all of us, and I would say this to our listeners, is that you have to be able to distinguish between what is uh, the, the, the base data and information that we have, and then the spin that gets put on it uh, by political pundits, by those running for office, those who are managing political campaigns, the messaging that comes out, and really even the media. Uh, because uh, I'm seeing this in the interviews that I do on some of these programs is that that there's often this attempt to kind of cast the media in that way, and they, and they identify themselves as a you know a cons- more conservative talk show, a more liberal talk show, or, or, or identify with party uh, affinity. Uh, but we've got to be careful about that kind of messaging because when we, when we really kind of blend all that together and the data and the spin that are put on it becomes our picture of reality, uh, that, that becomes very challenging uh, because then we're not, we're not really any longer thinking for ourselves. We're, we're letting someone else interpret data and then tell us, okay, here's how you should think about this. Uh, we, we need to be able to move beyond that and see that, that there are po- very uh, strong political motivations here. And I think that's what a lot of what we see in social media and other places is that the political motivations are we want to win elections. We want to get in power so that we can drive our policy agenda uh, forward. And to do that, you have to you have to win. You have to win votes. You've got to get people to, to vote and elect the people in your party uh, to office uh, and you have to win a majority Uh, And so that becomes very, very critical. And and we're going to see more of this, I think, in this very hotly contested, uh, very contentious political environment we have. We're just going to see more and more of that, not to mention possibly the outside actors, as we saw in the 2016 election, of trying to incite more of that political animosity. And we have to be able to kind of move, look at the data and say, okay, what's actually really going on here? Uh, Is this what it, 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 it says it is? Is this more about how all of this is constructed when we look at uh, where the coronavirus has been deadliest? Uh, Do we, we we look seriously at the very complex issues related to that, but, but we also are careful about how then things like this are taken and spun in a certain way uh, that, that will serve the interest, the political interest uh, of a group or, or a party or a candidate. So I just caution you on that. I ask you to look at the article and to think about it in that way, to put all that in context as we try to do getting you more information and keeping you engaged uh, in the critical issues that are going on around us. I want to thank you for joining us uh, right here on KTRL FM 90.5 this week. And I invite you back to join us next week at noon each Sunday, but then also you can follow us online on Facebook, SoundCloud for recordings of our episodes, as well as where you get your podcast. And I think here very soon, uh, also through uh, the internet. So there's more and more ways that you can access and listen to us uh, to uh, help get the information, the interviews and things you need to engage with the world around us. Thank you for joining us today. has been a Tarleton Radio Network podcast with production from A.J. Heyer and Taylor Welch. Find more great shows by searching Tarleton Radio Network wherever you get your podcasts.